Hello and welcome to another episode of the Our Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua. I am your host. And if you are new to this show, heads up, this is not the correct episode for you. Go back to previous episodes, ideally episode number one, but at the very least, go back to episode 3.15, that's season three, episode 15 of season three, and that is where this series begins on secular religion, and that episode is titled Secular Religion and Statism. And so we are continuing this series. We discussed statism in that first episode. Last episode was about the Church of Woke and a little more about the Dark Kingdom, kind of more macro view of secular religion. And today's episode will be focused on scientism and getting into what that is and the background of that. So this is going to, at least I believe, be a multi-part episode, and it's going to uh, get back into some of the history of scientism, a little bit about technocracy, and that kind of thing. So scientism as a secular religion will be defined first in this episode. Then we'll get into Plato and Plato's Republic and some of those ideas that are relevant for the history of scientism as well as technocracy. We'll get into, after that, William Henry Smith, who I have covered multiple times before in previous episodes. And I'll try to, again, like these other episodes, focus on aspects that I did not cover as much last time so that it is still fresh and new content for those that have been long-term listeners. And um, I will uh, discuss William Henry Smith and then get into scientism and technocracy as a whole and kind of sum that up, pair those together, discuss that in the context of secular religion. And then that will bring us into the topic of technocracy as a whole outside of the context of secular religion. And there will be a, a continued series or a new series, however you want to word that, on technocracy. And that will probably take a few episodes as well. And that will be wrapping up season three. I'll have a few more things to get into, but that's at least what's coming. So again, if you are coming in fresh, go back to the beginning of this series on secular religion, or ideally episode number one, but you could also go back to maybe the beginning of season three. But regardless of what you choose, you are here now, and I will now begin this episode. So similarly to the Church of Woke, scientism is another secular religion that is rising in prominence in the current age. Scientism does stem from science and the scientific method. These are not in any way bad or evil or against God per se. So the scientific method and science can be in line with the natural order, and I would say typically would be. Science should provide a better understanding of the natural order and of the world around us. That is what it should do. But similarly to how wokeism took legitimate moral issues and corrupted them into a secular religion that was a perversion of the original truly moral issues, scientism has taken the objective study of creation, of this world, of the natural order, and turned it into a secular religion that is used to control and manipulate the natural order and the world around us. So like wokeism, it finds its roots in much earlier history, but is now coming to the forefront in a dominance not achieved before. 
understanding the roots of scientism is pertinent to many aspects of what we are studying. The governments of the kingdom of man, or let's say the kingdom of darkness, the dark kingdom I referred to in the previous episode, these governments and states that are under this dark kingdom are shifting more and more into technocratic systems, which is different than how they have been structured in the past. Since we are assessing the relationship between us as individuals and the systems over us and around us, then understanding these newer models of governance is definitely very important. So to do so, what I will do is begin with concepts from two of the books that have had a lot to say on these topics and definitely influenced my own understanding greatly. And the first of those, I believe, is probably all I'll get to in this specific episode and the next in the next episode. So these two books would be Plato's Republic, as well as Technocracy by William Henry Smith. And again, I've talked about both of these books multiple times in previous episodes, previous seasons, but I, again, will try to bring it into this context and talk about other aspects that I didn't necessarily get into, because in previous episodes, I was doing it in the context of those episodes and those seasons, so that was different. Now, after these examples, then it'll be much easier to shift into the importance of the secular religion of scientism and the likely dominance that it will have moving forward. So again, it will help us to understand the background of scientism and what its foundation is, which helps us to better understand scientism itself, and then how it ties into especially technocracy and these new governance systems moving forward, and this type of stuff. Much like understanding the state really helps to better understand statism and understanding what is happening in the culture around us and how morality is shifting and traditions are shifting and perspectives are shifting within the culture. Understanding that and seeing that in current events helps us to better understand what the Church of Woke is and how it is truly affecting things. So that's kind of our goal here as we move forward into these next few episodes. So I will go ahead and start with Plato's Republic. And Plato's Republic is the starting point for many subjects, but a few aspects are especially apropos for the purpose of our endeavor here. So to begin with, this text is where Plato gives a broad description of the ideal ruler. This would be the philosopher king. These rulers are not driven by the search for wealth and power to hoard and control, which um, that would be references if you are not familiar with what I've talked about before with William Henry Smith. Uh, He talks about how there are certain drives that human beings have, and I apply that to societies and governments as a whole, and to hoard, to acquire, um, that's one of those drives, and to control or to master is another one. So I will be referencing these things, and it might go over your head if you are not caught up on all previous episodes, but uh, just a reference there. So these rulers, again, that Plato is discussing, the philosopher kings, they are not driven by the search for wealth and power, to hoard, to control, but rather they are driven by a love for knowledge, for truth, and for justice. They are constantly seeking to learn more, to collect information, 
to understand the world around them. They are therefore reluctant rulers, but this would be a good sign. They place logic, thinking, and reason above the senses. So this is that idea of uh, being in an ideational culture versus a sensate culture. And as we have talked about, we are shifting into an ideational culture and away from a sensate culture. So this definitely fits in very well. And again, those are references to Sorokin and other episodes. So these rulers have overcome the enslavement of the base human desires. And again, reference William Henry Smith there. And they can be counted on to be an elite ruling class. And they would be managing the whole of society through various methods of social engineering. In line with this idea of structure and logic and reason, Plato says that the main subject of learning for these philosophers' kings should be arithmetic. They will govern and problem-solve based on mathematical patterns and objective data. And so this should sound very familiar to you and definitely will come in line when we talk about what technocracy is. Plato is, in a sense, describing technocracy with these things. It's making all decisions based on objective data. But uh, yeah, we can have plenty of questions about what your goals are for making those decisions. And there's a lot more than objective data that comes into play there. But Social engineering is the best method of management for a society, according to Plato. This would involve steering individuals into roles and classes in society through talents and through breeding, with a focus on early manipulation of the individual to increase long-term social stability. So he believes that these philosopher kings and this elite ruling class should Uh, for the good of all, manage society and steer individuals into certain roles and positions and jobs and social status, all of these types of things. And that should be something that is actively and proactively controlled and steered by these philosopher kings. So basically, everyone has their job and their class and must fulfill them diligently for the good of the whole. In order for this to form a smoothly operating society, there must be specialization and division of labor. Individuals fulfilling these roles in these ways leads to a well-run society, which is the ideal for the whole and therefore must constitute true justice. This is a question that comes up. What is justice? And Plato, through dialogue and Socrates, uh, works out at least his views of what justice is. And part of what justice is, and this would be kind of similar to the Stoics, like Marcus Aurelius talks about some similar things, but what justice is, what is right in the world, is for people to do what they are basically naturally created to do. If you are good at doing something, you have certain aptitudes and skills that you fit your life to fulfilling those to the best of your ability and doing so in a way that benefits society as a whole. And this overall sounds nice, but applying it in this context, uh, not so nice, at least in my opinion. There is definitely a difference between what someone probably should do and what would be good for them in their life and a ruling class telling people what they should do and how they should run their lives based on the ruling class's opinion of what their aptitudes are and what role they should fit in. Those are two very different things. But getting back to Plato, 
property, profits, and wealth tend to corrupt motives, morals, loyalties, and society writ large. They are a distraction from the pursuit of justice. So if you are seeking these corrupt motives and these corrupt goals of property, profits, and wealth, then that is not going to be something that is good for a stable society. Wealth and poverty are both, in fact, evil. That is the opposite of justice. So Plato says that this is why everyone will be as equal as is reasonably possible. Even women will be involved in the same professions as men. The goal is uniformity in contentedness and purpose. Everyone will have this uh, sense of purpose and goal and community that they are all striving towards. Everyone will be roughly equal in class and status and this type of thing. And everybody in doing so is going to be pursuing their aptitudes and what they're good at and these roles that they have been put in and steered towards. And the philosopher kings at the top, the elites that are running things, these experts, should make sure that they are steering individuals and the society and the classes. They are steering all these different groups into this pattern, into this path, and making sure they stay on this path and stay within this pattern. And again, if everyone is as uniform and equal as possible, it makes this much easier. You don't have these outliers that are causing trouble and getting in the way. And I have uh, definitely talked about these ideas of uniformity, especially getting into the public education system in season one. We talked a lot about how that's one of the purposes of the modern education system. And going into the history of it, that is very obvious. It's just that's what it was. There's not really much debate about that. And that that is something that is being pushed even in the culture in today's world that we're dealing with, with the Church of Woke and that kind of stuff as well. Plato also does talk about injustice and says that injustice is manifested in the form of disruption or rebellion in a society, and this must be prevented. So again, if justice is a smooth-running society with everyone being roughly the same and pushing towards a common goal together steered by the experts at the top, then the opposite would be disruption, rebellion, chaos in a society, and that would be injustice. So in order to make sure that injustice is prevented, Plato says that it is best to have full control over the ideational layer of the social body. This would be the concepts, ideas, narratives, language, and similar immaterial aspects of the population. This is controlling the culture. This is controlling the narrative. Censorship, education, and loyalty are the key components to this. Any ideas that might spawn a manifestation of injustice must be removed from the culture. And again, injustice is rebellion from the, this social order that Plato is constructing. And so you have to make sure that injustice doesn't manifest. And therefore, to do so, you control these immaterial aspects. You control the culture. You control what people think, what they are exposed to, these types of things. And that is what must be done. So while I would agree with Plato in saying that chaos is part of the dark side of the natural order. That's how I've phrased it in the past and applied to a society, then that would be the, that would be true. That rebellion and revolution and disrupting society through those formats would be in line with chaos, with that dark side principle. 
But the difference would be the solution. The solution, according to the natural order, is not for experts at the top to rule over other people and force them to do things that they think is right that will create a smooth running society. That would not be true because according to the natural order on the light side, one of those key principles at the end of that is free will. And the principle at the same place on the dark side of the natural order would be deceit. And so those are basically your two options. You can either give people free will And in doing so, you do have to obviously give up some control, or you use deceit to maximize control over the population. Plato goes with deceit because he goes with the dark side in general of the natural order, at least according to the way it's been laid out in the principles I've talked about in the past. But uh, personally, and in this episode, um, as well as this season especially, I have been talking about following the path of the light side of the natural order. And I have definitely talked about how revolution, rebellion, physical confrontation, these are not the way forward. That is the idea of agorism. That was the view of the early church. All of these things that I've been discussing are not in line with that. So we would agree with Plato that we don't pursue injustice in the form of chaos within society. But Our solution to creating a just and moral society is not having a few experts at the top control everything. And we would argue that that's not going to go very well. In theory, it's great to have philosopher kings at the top that are uh, benign and benevolent and don't uh, basically do any dark things. But that's not reality. And Plato does get into that later. I'll talk about the different forms of governance later in this episode. But for Plato, uh, the ideas that might spawn injustice in a culture, uh, these are mostly seen in the forms of stories and what he refers to as music. And music would be things like art and poetry and literature Uh, These types of things, uh, basically the ideas that circulate around in a society, a lot of the cultural aspects. Plato highlights the concept of culture forerunning and influencing politics and governance through music. And uh, again, music being these idea things, art, poetry, literature, stories, narrative, these types of things. And so uh, I will just say music from now on and not explain it every single time. But um, that's what he's referring to. He's not talking about songs. Although songs may be included, he's talking about a lot more than that. A quote from The Republic by Plato that is relevant here would go thus, quote, Musical innovation is full of danger to the state. For when modes of music change, the fundamental laws of the state always change with them. So that's, again, a reference of this concept that culture comes before politics. So when things change within the culture through this mode of music, through art and the stories being told and the narrative people are talking about, ideas being discussed, all of these things, as these things start to change, they will do so 
and following that, the state will change, the political realm will change afterwards. And again, that's kind of this whole idea of coming from last episode on the Church of Woke. That was that ideational change. That is uh, the majority of how that's manifesting in today's world. And as that changes, that will change the state. And that's kind of the whole idea of talking about how these different secular religions interact with each other. You have the Church of Woke, you have statism, and you have scientism that we're trying to get into through these ideas. And they do all work together in conjunction. They affect each other, but they are not the same thing. And they are not even necessarily going towards the same goals. I would say the Dark Kingdom as a whole has goals, but there are different aspects of those overall goals that are being pursued by these different sects, these different denominations, these different secular religions. And so that's how things are playing out in today's world. Plato believed that the individual must not be exposed to any concepts or language that related to any hint of injustice. This would include, but definitely is not limited to, things like rebellion, lying, unjust violence, unfit rulers, mixed loyalties, and other harmful themes. Basically, anything that is contrary to the state and the idea of submitting to the state would be an act of rebellion, and that is, by Plato's definition, injustice. Even the simple aspect of art being imitation is dangerous because it leads to pleasure-seeking and emotion, which are often in conflict with virtue. Again, he wants to pursue things in a way that are focused on data and logic and philosophy, these things, not on emotionalism and these more artsy types of ideas. And so that's what he's focused on. He considers the former virtue, that would be the logic and reason and such. And he includes emotional desires and seeking out the pleasures and wealth and these types of things in line with injustice. Now, if the individual is never exposed to these types of ideas, then they will be much less likely to manifest them themselves and much less likely to buck against the elites that are over them. So yes, this would severely limit the culture and the arts, but since it promotes true justice, societal order, then it is the correct path to take. So in today's world, that would mean canceling out a lot of our culture, a lot of our media, a lot of these types of things. But the way things are manifesting themselves in today's world is very different than the way Plato was discussing. So in today's world, the current or the previous order was more about this idea of logic and reason and these types of things, more sensate. And we are shifting away from that into a more ideational culture And so with that shift, you have these differences, uh, such as what the Church of Woke is manifesting, where they are going against the traditional beliefs, the conservatism, these types of things. And so going along with this shift, where the Dark Kingdom is starting to impose or attempting to impose more power and more influence, then it actually makes sense that media, that music that falls in line with 
rebellion of that old order. Rebellion of the natural order is actually in line with what Plato is talking about. And any music, any media, anything going on in today's culture that is stuck in the past and is more conservative and traditional, maybe religious in a Judeo-Christian sense, then that would be what Plato would uh, possibly consider, if you are making this parallel here, as being something that would lead to injustice. Because the new system that is getting imposed is a more technocratic system. And that is in line with Plato's philosopher king idea So that is the new system. That's the one that will uh, create order and structure. And that is the one that Plato would say uh, society should be structured after. That is the correct societal order. And so if that is the case, then anything that goes against that would be this subversive music, so to say. And things that are conservative and traditional do go against that, in most circumstances at least. And so, therefore, that would be something that he would consider pursuing injustice. And so, it's it's kind of different how, again, that manifests itself today, because today, anything that goes against the old system is actually more in line with Plato's philosophy than things that build up the old state. Whereas uh, when Plato is giving this outline here, he is picturing this all happening under the perfect model, under this philosopher-king model, under the technocracy model, and we are not there. So uh, where he says everything should be in line with these experts running the technocratic order then yes, that is true, but we are not under the technocratic order today. We are under a statist regime that is much more political and much different. And so he would say, we need to get out of that and go into the technocracy. And that's what we're doing. So it's this, uh, it's like a faux subversive music of sorts that's happening today where it is against the old order, but it is in full support of this next, more extreme, more authoritarian order, even though it pretends to be against authoritarianism and fascism and pro-freedom and these kinds of things. It's really the opposite. It's really more in line with this idea of censorship. For example, when you have cancel culture and someone says something negative about, let's say, homosexuals, and it is viewed as an injustice in today's world, then they completely get censored. But they are getting censored. Uh, When they get censored, it is considered to be something that is promoting freedom of expression and freedom of how I live my life. And so it's censorship for the sake of freedom. It's, oh, we are going to control music for the good of the masses. And that's what Plato is talking about. So that's, you know, obviously what is happening today as well. Now, the best method of influencing an individual is education, according to Plato and according to most of us. And the best time is as soon as possible. So the younger you get, the more influence you can have over a child. I'll go for another quote from Republic, and I actually saw part of this quote posted in a school, in my local school system, so that was a, a little disturbing to recognize it and actually recognize the context that it came out of, but I'll read the full thing here. Quote, You know that the beginning is the most important part of any work. 
especially in the case of a young and tender thing, for that is the time at which the character is being formed and the desired impression is more readily taken. Shall we just carelessly allow children to hear any casual tales which may be devised by casual persons and to receive into their minds ideas, for the most part, the very opposite of those which we wish them to have when they are grown up? We cannot. Anything received into the mind at that age is likely to become indelible and unalterable, and therefore, it is most important that the tales which the young first hear should be models of virtuous thoughts. So Plato is building on this theme of making sure you control music and the effect that music has on individuals and then applying that to the young because that's when individuals are at their most impressionable. That's how that's what molds and forms who they become as they grow old. So if you want to change a society, you start with the children, you have a long-range plan and you can be fairly successful. So education, therefore, should be fully controlled, for it is the foundation for the individual and for society itself. Dialectic is the way to knowledge, according to Plato. Full knowledge and true education should not be for everyone, though. This more true education should be reserved for the elites who will become the ruling philosopher kings. So true education, therefore, is not mandatory or compulsory. Indoctrination and uniformity of thought is mandatory for all, but only those who seek true education, and they seek it out of their own volition, uncoerced, will be considered for further teaching. Out of these, only those who are deemed to be worthy will be given a liberal education, and that would be the proper education. So that's the idea, is that the mandatory version of education is uniformity, it's indoctrination, it's control, it's censoring music, these types of things. That is what you do to pretty much everyone, and that's mandatory. But for those who outside of this seek out true education, they seek out the dialectic, they start asking questions, they show an aptitude for critical thinking, and they start learning on their own or seek that out, those are the ones that you need to watch out for because either they need to be squashed back in their place or they might be uh, people that have potential for being a part of this more elite class to be a philosopher king, so to say. So in order to promote the existence of such elite individuals, the most elite individuals in the polis will be grouped together often to encourage breeding among themselves. Reproduction will be completely regulated by the state in order to ensure proper management and the highest chances of success for basically this eugenics program. This is the idea where you get the best and the brightest, those that have potential to be in the elite class as well as those who are elite themselves and they have proved themselves, they are the ones that are together all the time and they are paired together deliberately. That is part of this control over all of society, the social engineering. And in being together all the time, they will breed more often. And when they breed amongst themselves, you're much more likely to get offspring that are similar to their parents, just like breeding 
any other animal or livestock or anything else. This is fairly similar to a more modern example where you've got a lot of the universities in America, especially some of those Ivy League schools, a lot of them were founded within the generation of and after Darwin when this whole idea of eugenics started to become very popular. And a lot of those more elite people did recognize what Plato is pointing out. They probably read Plato because they probably had a true education. And in doing so, they recognized as well that if they sent their kids to an elite place with a bunch of other young people going to that elite place, and you know that most of those other people are also part of elite families from that elite class, then you're going to have more breeding and keep things in this elite class. And that's kind of what happened. So uh, we've seen examples like this in even more modern times where you see the families that started to get together and mold together and marry together and uh, become connected through marriage. A lot of those things happened through these Ivy League schools around this time period when eugenics was actually a much more popular thing to be discussed openly. I would say it's probably still extremely popular among certain circles, but that is not something that is okay culturally to discuss out in the open, at least not directly. You have to call it something like genetics or something like that. That sounds a lot better. Now, going back to Plato, when he talks about the children, he does say that the children will be raised by the community without ties to the parents. The parents will not know which children are theirs, and the children will not know which parents are theirs. The women will also be shared in the community, so there will not be any individualistic bonds between husbands or wives or small groups of individuals with loyalties to each other. This would be known as a family. All loyalties instead will be to the state and the good of the social body which again is this cultural shift we're heading into. It's for the good of all. It's for the good of the social body. That is what Plato says. That's how you run this type of social order that he's talking about. And you can't have these independent units, these family units, because if you do, and they are tight-knit and they have their loyalties to each other, then you have a lot higher risk of there being some sort of rebellion, some sort of injustice by Plato's definition. And so we need to eradicate that, just like you eradicate any music that is not true and honest, at least according to the message he wants to get out to people, um, you get rid of that completely. So ideally, you just get rid of the whole family unit as well. So then typically out of this breeding program, this uh, eugenics program of the elite, most of your eventual rulers will come out of that. And you will have a few that will come outside of the expected sources, but a lot of them will come from this basically eugenics program that he wants to run. The eventual rulers will be the individuals who were dedicated and fully loyal to the state from childhood. Like all individuals, especially children, they will be under constant surveillance to monitor their progress and assess their status. They will be tested with great tribulation and temptation. They will be told a massive lie from the current leaders, and only those who unquestionably believe are truly worthy of being rulers themselves, because they have shown their dedication and loyalty to the state. 
and these elites will further pursue knowledge, truth, and justice, both for themselves and for the society as a whole. So in a sense, they've kind of been brainwashed into this whole idea, but they do actually have critical thinking and logic and reason and true education, a liberal education, but they have basically been indoctrinated into believing that they rightfully should run society because that's for the good of everyone. And that morally is the right thing to do because that promotes justice by Plato's definition and discourages injustice. Therefore, it's moral and not immoral. There will, however, be times when these elites must lie or deceive or harm other citizens for the good of the social body. These sacrifices are just and virtuous since they promote the happiness of the greatest number and the stability of the polis. So that is the goal always. It's always about the social body. And even when you have to lie, deceive, hurt people, kill people, if you're doing it for the good of the society, then it is worth it. And it is not only worth it, it's just and virtuous. It's a good thing to do. This is also why criminals will not be allowed to live and why the useless, by Plato's definition at least, will not have medication wasted on them for healing. Resources will be distributed in a sustainable manner for the good of all under the management of the ruling elite. And these would be the experts, so to say. And so if someone is not very productive for society, then, you know, it's not that they'll necessarily kill them off. They're not necessarily a threat. They're not an injustice. But it doesn't make a lot of sense to allocate resources to them because they're not benefiting the social body. So basically, just let them die out. That is Plato's idea here. Uh, Not a lot of charity and will to serve selflessly. That doesn't really exist here. For Plato, the will to serve is manifested in being the service of the social body, not the will to serve individuals. There's a big difference there. So Plato lays out a pattern of societal structures in the evolution of the state after he goes through all of these other things. And that's what I want to get into next. So he's kind of laid out what this ideal society looks like, how you manage it. And this should ring some bells for scientism, probably more for technocracy. This is the beginning of both of those. This is the foundation for these things, which is why I'm spending most of a whole episode on it. And so So to get into the last part that I want to discuss from Republic, Plato talks about how these societal structures evolve and how the governance systems, how the state changes over time. Now, according to Plato, the reigning forms of government descend from aristocracy to timocracy to oligarchy to democracy, which finally leads to the worst of all, tyranny. Aristocracy is the rule of the philosopher king, as Plato laid out earlier and I just all described. That was aristocracy. It was the best that were ruling, more of a meritocracy, so to say, in which the rulers are those who are fit for benevolent rulership and they are worthy of the position. This is this elite ruling class of experts that is the 
aristocracy. Now, as you shift from that, in time, you have lesser individuals that begin to enter the ruling class. This is the stage of timocracy. These rulers are more focused on military conquest and honors than wisdom and virtue. It is, quote, inclining rather to the more high-spirited and simple-minded type who are better suited for war, end quote. That's what Plato says. Plato doesn't view this system as wholly bad, but rather as a mix of good and bad. The ruling class is no longer dominated by philosopher kings, but by those who are beginning to pursue their own wealth, power, and influence, in addition to the more benevolent aspects of rulership, like the true philosopher kings. He references Crete and Sparta as examples of this, of the timocracy. And again, this is a step down from the ideal society. Now, the next thing that happens is that this system, this timocracy, leads to oligarchy, where those with the most wealth, power, and influence make up the ruling class. So again, timocracy is the reaction to and the evolution of aristocracy. So with the aristocracy, you have the philosopher kings, these people that should be the elite class because they truly are the experts. And then as that continues, as all institutions do, it becomes a little more corrupt. And some of these new people that are brought into this elite class are not of the same caliber, not quite as uh, philosophy-oriented, so to say, or benevolent, and they are more focused on their own pleasures and glories and honors and these types of things. But they also have some of these traits of the philosopher king, which is why they're starting to creep into the power structure, and this is what shifts us into timocracy. But what happens is that as these people start to be the main rulers, then it benefits and promotes those who are very focused on wealth, power, and influence. There is a very clear class distinction now between the rich and the poor. The rich are few but powerful, and the poor are many but weak. This creates issues such as rich but incompetent individuals in the ruling class. It also creates the lack of ability for poor but competent individuals to rise in class. And because of all of these things and these class distinctions, the lack of trust between the rulers and the masses starts to expand. And with all of this happening, the dissatisfaction of the masses will increase and they will be more and more dissatisfied with their position in society. And this all should sound fairly familiar today. Do you have a small elite class of rich people that have a lot of wealth, power, and influence? And those are their mo- main focuses. Think of a corporation. Like legally, a corporation is designed to make money for its shareholders and to grow its wealth. That is what it's r- legally required to do. And that is very different than something with the purpose of being a benefit to society as a whole or to individuals that are associated with it. And with all of these issues that are happening within an oligarchy, and again, I would personally say that's close to where we are, is a more oligarchical society, 
this system then degenerates into democracy, where freedom, and you would probably put quotes around freedom, is the most important ideology. This freedom, however, involves the freedom to do as one pleases, which is often not what is best for the individual or for the society. The poor have become large enough in numbers and power to take control of the ruling mechanisms of the society. The formerly powerless now focus on unnecessary desires such as frivolous material goods, luxuries, riches, conveniences, etc. Leaders under this system are typically unfit individuals who lack morality and wisdom, but rather harness the will of the masses to achieve more individual benefit for them and their elite peers. Again, this should sound pretty familiar too. I would say we're probably in between the two of oligarchy and democracy. We've got a lot of both of those in play in our current society in today's age. Now, the evolution of this system of democracy creates the perfect milieu for tyranny. This is when the society is in chaos. Democracy created a society with little discipline and a high pursuit of personal pleasures. To restore order, a tyrant comes into power and forces order on the society. The tyrant is focused on his own base desires at the expense of the masses. He steals, kills, and lies to satisfy his lusts. He may have risen to power through sheer force or through the will of the people to achieve order. But either way, he is the worst of all rulers, according to Plato. And you can see this threat looming in today's society as well. The more that the masses start to be dissatisfied with their class in society, and again, this was an issue in oligarchy, where you have this huge divide between the rich and the poor, the small minority elites, and the masses. The masses get a little tired of that, realize that they actually have even more power, and they can start taking over the institutions that run society. That's kind of what's happening today. And as they're doing so, they're really focused on materialism, on uh, luxuries and conveniences. This is kind of the entitlement mentality that is uh, largely in vogue now. And so with all of this happening, society is decaying. And that's what Plato's kind of laying out here is that this is a a devolution into decay as as these systems start to decay into tyranny from his ideal technocracy is what we'd say in today's world. And so with this, we see that the very end of this is that society is starting to unravel. There's a lot of chaos that's going on. The masses got what they wanted, but then they realize, hey, things are kind of screwed up. We need some order in today's society. And that's when the pendulum swings to the other side. And Either the tyrant comes in through force, but I would say probably much more likely in today's world, and probably historically what's played out more often, is that the tyrant is brought into power by the masses. And oftentimes it's both. The masses rise up and they have this tyrant that they want to follow, and that is when the new regime starts to take power and the tyrant comes into play. The tyrant is very focused on order of society and has no qualms about that. He has a heavy hand and is not afraid to use it. That is who the tyrant is. But the tyrant is not looking out for all of society. The tyrant is not looking out for individuals. The tyrant is looking out for himself. And that's all he really cares about is 
satisfying his own desires, his own lusts. And those that are around him uh, might be lucky enough to satisfy theirs as well just by being around him, as long as they please the king kind of a thing. And so this is the situation that you end up with, and it's not a good situation. So while many people have disagreed with the specifics of Plato's timeline for societies, many of his points are universal and true. We see many aspects of oligarchy and democracy in today's world. We should be aware both of the negative aspects of these as well as the potential futures that he outlines. To bring many of Plato's concepts and outlines to a more modern perspective, we will shift to William Henry Smith to be the orator for that in the next episode. So again, as a bit of a summary here, Plato lays out his perfect society under philosopher kings. These are the experts that that are the elites in society. In order to have this elite class and to keep it, we need to make sure we have a good eugenics program going on, a lot of censorship, and have full control through social engineering of the society. And we should use lies and deceit in these types of things in order to implement our goals. And it's for the good of everyone. It's actually just because having an ordered society is just and having a society with chaos is unjust. So anything we do to prevent chaos in society is a good moral thing, according to Plato. And what we should do is use logic and reason and data and more objective methods for allocating resources and making decisions. This shouldn't be an emotional affair or a political affair. Instead, this should be done by these more objective philosopher kings and this elite class, these experts, should be doing this in this more methodical way. And this relates very closely to technocracy. That basically is technocracy. I guess I could even read a quote. I've got a quote that I have typed out, kind of write down from this for the next section, and I can go ahead and bring it up now because you'll see the parallels here. This would be the Technocrat magazine from 1938. Uh, Just a short little thing here about what technocracy is. Technocracy is the science of social engineering, the scientific operation of the entire social mechanism to produce and distribute goods and services to the entire population. Now, I can then do two quotes that make a lot of sense from Zbigniew Brzezinski. This comes from Between Two Ages, America's Role in the Technotronic Era. This was the book that got him... Uh, noticed by David Rockefeller, and they started the Trilateral Commission and a lot of connections to the Cecil Rhodes roundtable groups and lots of stuff I've covered before. Very interesting, definitely. But this is kind of what brought Brzezinski on the scene was writing this book and getting noticed for this idea. He doesn't directly call it technocracy, but you get the allusions here. He says, quote, the technotronic era involves the gradual appearance of a more controlled society. Such a society would be dominated by an elite unrestrained by traditional values. Soon it will be possible to assert almost continuous surveillance over every citizen and maintain up-to-date, complete files containing even the most personal information about the citizen. These files will be subject to instantaneous retrieval by the authorities." remind you of anything like big tech, the internet, these types of things? Yes, they weren't around then, but they are now. Uh, Next quote from the same book, 
In the technotronic society, the trend would seem to be towards the aggregation of the individual support of millions of uncoordinated citizens, easily within the reach of magnetic and attractive personalities exploiting the latest communications techniques to manipulate emotions and control reason. So he wants to control both, both emotions and logic and reason, all through the latest communications techniques let's say, the internet and big tech. And that's how you exploit the masses. And he does see how the masses are the more important thing to control. It's all about using social engineering, as technocracy was described in the Technocrat magazine in 1938. So yes, all of this uh, is basically what Plato is laying out in different verbiage, because it's coming from a different age, a different time. But it's the same thing. It's the same philosophy, the same principles. I have some more from uh, James Burnham, and I don't have time to get to all this. So we are going to talk about some of the other related things in following episodes. Now, the very next episode will be William Henry Smith. Again, I'll try to touch on things that I had not covered in the past. If you want more on him, then find the other episodes I did on him. I know I definitely did some... Basically, right after season two, I had an interim period. I did a few, I did like a COVID trilogy. And then I think shortly after that, I did some on some of these topics that I will be talking about. But some of that was on William Henry Smith. I did, I think, a full episode on him. And then in the Vin Armani uh, interview and elaborations, I talked about him as well, about William Henry Smith. And that would have been starting with episode 111. And I might have even talked about him again in a later episode. I think I did. I'll try to find that and put that in the show notes, but don't know if I will. I'm sure you can figure it out. And if you can't, and it's important to you, send me an email and I will make sure that I do so. So that is what is coming up. I also recently did an interview with another show, Unshackled Liberty is the name of that show. And I don't know when they're going to finish the editing and release that episode and that kind of thing. But I assume it's in the relatively near future. So whenever that does drop, I will let you know. It was an extremely good episode, at least in my opinion. Uh, I really enjoyed it. They said they really enjoyed it. And we were discussing the idea of, I guess, kind of, of Christian agorism. It was a lot about how Christians and the church should act given the circumstances in today's society and how things are shifting and taking that perspective of Christian agorism and what that means. And we got into all kinds of other related topics that were very interesting. I think it went really well, and I think you would enjoy it. So I will let you know when that comes out, give you a heads up, post a link to that. Uh, Other than that, if you are interested in other appearances I've done on other shows, if you go to the website, rfoundations.podbean.com, there is a page. You click on the drop-down menu at the top left, and there's one that says Appearances, I believe, is how it's labeled. And that should have a list of all the appearances I've done. That is assuming that it is up to date. I'm not sure if it is. It might be missing one or two, but it should have most of them. And so that's a good resource if you want more content that I am not putting out on my own feed. And then there's also more information on the website if you want to learn more about me or if you want to support the show and need some links for that or whatever else. There are other resources, books I've read, podcasts I recommend, all kinds of stuff on there. That is not very updated, but eventually it will be. And so feel free to check that out. 
as I said, email me anytime and ask any questions. I got a question from one of the supporters about Bitcoin and uh, comparisons with fiat money and uh, issues with the grid and that kind of stuff. And that was pretty interesting. So um, also got some comments on some of the book releases I've done for supporters. So I guess I should definitely say right here, thank you supporters, those who are financially supporting the show, giving money and helping me to pay for everything associated with the show. I actually bought a new piece of equipment the other day, and I believe that the support that has been given over the past few months that exceeds what I've had to pay for hosting and other things will cover the cost of that. And so thank you. you The supporters are definitely supporting, and that is how I can do this show without coming out of pocket myself. And I greatly appreciate that. Thank you very much. If you would like to support the show, but do not have the ability or desire to do so with money, you can do so with cryptocurrency, another form of money, or you can take the less financial route and leave a rating and ideally also leave a review for the show. That is very helpful. You might have to hunt around for a site that you can leave a review on. Not all podcast players allow for that. You might have to do that on Apple or I don't know what all the sites are, but I'm sure you could figure it out if you would like to support in that way. Or another way of supporting the show is by sending me feedback. That is extremely helpful. Just send me an email with feedback of what you thought of a specific episode or the podcast as a whole or an issue that you had, a question you have. Any of that is very helpful as well. So please do support the show. That is something that I would ask of everyone in whatever way or form suits you. If you enjoy this show, you want it to be out there and to have a high quality and to be beneficial for all of the people that listen in the future, then please do your part and support in whatever way works for you. Thank you very much for listening. That is also one way of supporting and for spreading word of the podcast. I know some of you have been doing that. So thank you very much. I really appreciate it. I'm out till next time. Peace. This has been our Foundations Podcast. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye-bye.